unofficially. This was a gift given to me to give to you to tell you how much I love you, babe. I'm gonna put it on your nightstand in our new house. You can't read it because I know you don't have your glasses on because you never wear them. So I'll read it for you. It says, I love you more than bacon. That's how much I love you. Now you must have someone come up with a creative gift to give to me that speaks this much love and affection. And if you don't, I'll still love you more than bacon. That's all. Several years before the death of a, an old rabbi, Abraham Joshua Herschel, talk about a sweet rabbi name, uh, he suffered a, a near heart attack and his closest male friend was at his side and Herschel was super weak, could barely get any words out of his mouth. And the guy asked him, his friend asked him, you know, are, are you ready to go? What are you feeling in this moment on the brink of your death? And the rabbi, in his exhaustion, after a long pause, said this, and, and I want us to think about this. He said, never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked God for wonder, and he gave it to me. I asked God for wonder, and he gave it to me. The reason why I wanted to read that short account of Rabbi Herschel is because we have become a people who have lost wonder. And it's not any mystery as to why. Some of it is actually good. Some of it is what we would call human progress. We understand how certain things work. We understand why lightning comes from the sky. We understand what causes earthquakes. We understand, in some sense, what formations cause hurricanes, because we look at the science behind it. But what has happened is that we have lost, many of us, our sense of wonder, our sense of awe about the created world. And as followers of Jesus, we should never, never lose our wonder. I need you to understand and think about something clearly. For, for all of the things that we can explain, there are still so many inexplicable things. And you might argue, well, maybe one day we'll figure it out. Science has been trying to figure out some really weird things for a long time. Like music. Why does music affect people the way that it does? Why can some of us listen to in sync and have our hearts melted? Or maybe you're from a different generation. How can some of you listen to Alice in Chains or Metallica or Megadeth and you fall in love all over again? Why is it that humans travel to mountains to see amazing rocks that are pointy toward the sky and when they see one with the sun either on one side or the other their breath is taken away why is it that humans can look at a sunset in florida and stop and pause for a moment and say that is incredible it's a ball of burning gas millions of miles away and it's emanating heat and light and giving us the ability to continue to live on this planet but there's some awe and wonder we don't wonder anymore as a people we don't think about God moving through the course of history and our life. And because we don't often reflect on that, it affects our day-to-day -day lives. If we don't see God for who he is in history, how will we see God for who he is in our story and who we are in his story? See what I did there? Dad joke. So in Daniel chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open there. 
If you didn't scan the QR code in the lobby, you can still open your Bible app, hit the three lines in the bottom right corner, and it'll bring up events in the chapel. If your phone has location on, we'll say it will pop up as the first one. And then the scripture will be in there, and some of the scripture will be up behind me. It's, it's a story that, in my estimation, is pretty remarkable. If you had, this is not a rhetorical question, if you had the ability to see in the future, but you could only see two things, where would you look and what would you try to see? I'm just curious to know. If you could look into the future, you could see two things. What would you want to look into the future and see? Anybody? I know somebody in their mind is like, I'm not going to say winning lottery numbers. Like right now, there's somebody here like, I'm going to wait till the mega millions is like 900 million. I'm going to see that number when no one else wins it. So it's all mine. Right? Nobody? What would you see? What would you look for? Yeah. The day you die and the day Jesus comes back. Okay. Do you really want to know the day that you die? You do? Because you'd jump out of more airplanes. You'd ride your motorcycle without helmets. Just go wild. I don't know if I'd want to know the day that I died. I kind of like that mystery. Keeps me guessing. Like it could be the day that you go to spin class at Anytime Fitness with Angel. And she makes you ride this bike that's two sizes too small, like the Grinch's heart. And now you can't walk or sit down. I won't mention her again, Angel, but I'm still mad at you. I just started being able to sit down yesterday. And that's a generous definition of the term sitting down. Okay, what else would you want to do? So when you died, when Jesus came back, what if you went to look for when you died, but Jesus had already come back, so you didn't, and you're just wandering through this space and time fog continuum? That'd be weird. Yeah, okay, what else? What else would you guys want to see? Two things you get to pick. What? Who your daughter marries? <laughs> so that's your two wishes. I said two, so it's who your daughter marries and how you kill them and get away with it. Is that the second thing? Because I said two, but who your daughter marries? I don't think I want to see that either, to be honest. I want to see which of my daughters is single longer. I want to see what I can do now to make them not marry till they're 37 or I'm in the grave. Okay, what else? Two th I need one more person. I'm just wondering. I'm curious. You get to choose two things to see into the future. Nothing, huh? No imagination? Yeah. Oh, this is going to be. If what? I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to get into the Bible. Father, you are good, and sometimes I don't understand how that works. Lord, Jared wants to know when he's going to die and when you're going to return. Don wants to see who his daughter's going to marry, and, and Alex wants to see his dad, to know if he's going to see his dad. The one thing I do know, God, and that we get to see from today's passage is that you are in control of history that you are a loving father who guides history according to your plan and in, in your hand and your purpose. And that purpose can't be stopped by our stupidity, by our brokenness, or by the brokenness of anything around us. So Lord, as we look at Daniel's vision that you gave him, this dream that you gave him, God, where he got to look down the corridor of history hundreds of years to see what would happen. And now, God, we're looking back at what had happened 
over a thousand years to over two thousand years ago, Lord, we, we look back and see that you, you predict the future, you know the future, you unwrap the future like a Christmas present. And sometimes, Lord, those Christmas presents are um, things that are heartbreaking. So I pray that, I pray specifically for Alex that you would continue to raise up men around him that pour into him, that love him well, that pick him up when he's feeling down, that give him a ride to somewhere when he needs to get somewhere, that pick him up when he gets in trouble. Well, Lord, I pray that he doesn't get in trouble, first of all, I guess. <laughs> but if he does, when he does, uh, I pray that you would continue to put men around him like, like you had done for me, um, but that ultimately you would be the dad that he needed like you are and have been for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel's, Daniel gets to look down the corridor of history right here. It's really remarkable. It made Daniel sick to his stomach. Just as a spoiler alert, in this vision that Daniel gets and in the interpretation, he gets terrified, he passes out onto his face. By the end of it, he's sick and he sits in his room for days because he is overwhelmed with the God who could do this and point these things out. We don't get overwhelmed enough. We're not driven enough to wonder in our culture because we try to find reasons for everything. We find the reason for the lightning, the reason for the earthquakes, and those aren't bad things to know the reasons, but sometimes we have to take two steps back and say, look how big our God is. Verse 1 of chapter 8. In the year, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. After that, which appeared to me, at the first, that was last week's, the, the mega beast vision, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was in, and I was at uh, the Ulai Canal, I raised my eyes, and I saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both the horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. We're going to learn at the end of this chapter the ram, and I'm just, we're going to spoiler alert this because we can't, we can't unpack everything in, in great depth, but I need you to understand it's very clear the ram described later on as the Medes and the Persians. King Xerxes. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible is this big, confusing book. So, so just for just so you know where we are, Genesis is the beginning. What is Genesis? The beginning. Exodus, second book of the Bible, is Moses and the law stuff. Second book of the Bible is who? And the what? Law stuff. Leviticus is how to kill a goat 101 ways. What is Leviticus? Okay, they did it for a purpose, but we don't have time for that today. Numbers and Deuteronomy are, are the journey... The journey, because they got let go of Egypt. Charlton Heston got them out in Exodus. Numbers and Deuteronomy are getting to go to the promised land. Numbers, Deuteronomy, going to where? The promised land. And then Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Joshua is the one who takes over the promised land. Judges, they set up a government for God. But then that's where the Bible gets weird, because it goes all wonky and out of order. Like technically, Job should be between Genesis 11 and 12. And, and all these books get all sliced up. But after the judges, the Israelites say, we want a king. So God says, fine, have a king, but it's not my idea. It's your idea. It's going to go bad. And it goes really bad. And throughout these kings, you have Saul, David, Solomon. Some of us know those names. David the Goliath. Saul, that was like the first king that was a head taller than everyone else. Solomon was King David's son, the wise guy who wrote Ecclesiastes, uh, the Proverbs, and the Song of Songs. 
And then the kingdom splits and divides, and then all of these weird names. And I have to stop, I have to stop using my homeschool joke with names because I'm considering homeschooling my kid now, like I, I've, I've shared a couple times, and I, I feel like it'll be weird if I have to rename him to Hebediah or something, okay? But all those weird names in the Bible. The, the Daniels, the most normal, Isaiah's pretty normal, but then you've got like the, the Amos, and no one names their kid Haggai, Haggai, no one names their kid Obadiah anymore, unless you're part of that homeschool group, right? Like, aren't you dating an Obadiah? Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> confuse you with somebody else. All of those prophets, for those of you who are wondering how this works, it goes from Joshua and Judges, and then you could jump to 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, and that has the history. All of those weird name prophets, most of them fit inside of those books. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, and then 1st, 2nd Chronicles is just a retelling with a nerdier grammar of 1st and 2nd Kings, for the most part. And all of those weird names in the end of your Bible, the Malachi's, they all fit in there. There's these men who said, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Come back to God. And in the midst of those books, in the book of Kings, Babylon comes in. Nebuchadnezzar scoops them up. And then they're, they're living for generations under the fist of an oppressive, tyrannical government that says it's our way or you're dead. And God rescues some, doesn't rescue others. And right now we're about... 550 years out from Jesus. That's what this book is looking at. Like, okay, in 550 years, we know looking back now, that's when Jesus comes. So Daniel's writing and he's saying, when do we get to go back to Jerusalem and set up our religion again? Set up what Babylon tore down. And then Daniel gets these visions. First vision is that one day they will get to go there. And it's this big cosmic picture like zoomed out from 30,000 feet. This vision is zooming in a little bit more. This is about 5,000 feet. And now Daniel's getting another vision that says, look, this is what's going to happen soon. This, this ram's going to come up and it's going to tear through because it's, this was in the third year of Belshazzar's reign. Shortly after this vision, the Medes and the Persians with King Darius, the guy who ends up putting Daniel in the lion's den, that's the Medes and the Persians. They come in like a ram, and they take over Babylon. But then there's a goat. I was considering, and this is in around 550 B.C., this book was written. That's how long the Hebrew people have been following this book, reading this book. So it's very important to see some wonderful, incredible things. Because then, as he was considering this in verse 5, Behold, a male goat came from the west. Which direction? From the west. Now, I know some of you don't know your Middle East geography. If you're in Israel, if you're in the Middle East area, what's west of there? If you just hopped on a boat and went west, what are you bound to hit eventually? Starts with a g and rhymes with is. You guys are so smart. I love this place. A goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, meaning that this goat was moving. He's cooking at lightning speed. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. There we go again with the horns on the animals. He came to the ram with two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. The ram had no power to stand before the goat. I wonder if this is where we get that phrase in football, the goat, the greatest of all time, Ben Roethlisberger. No? Sorry, I had to do one football joke because we're playing the Seahawks tonight. Go, Russell Wilson. That hurts, doesn't it? Hurt your finger a little bit? 
Too soon? <laughs> Love you too. The goat. There was no one who could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became exceedingly great. When he was strong, the great horn was broken. Instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns. So when the goat was strong, it got broken off, and four horns grew up in its place toward the four winds of heaven. Now this is what's crazy. I need you to just jump down. Daniel wants to know what's going on. Verse 15, he says this, I saw the vision, I wanted to understand it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. A what? A man. Angels, just so you know, are, are not portrayed with wings. There are these cherubim and seraphim have these weird appearances, but whenever an angel comes down and appears to a man, to a human being, they always look like another human being. So whenever you see that weird thing with like the angels sitting on the tomb of Jesus and they always have the wings, it never describes them. When they come to earth, they don't appear with wings. They just look like a glowing dude. This is the first time that this angel's named here. It's one of the angels, one of two that's named, unless you're counting uh, Lucifer. I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli. It called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So a voice came from heaven, said, Gabriel. The angel Gabriel, so he came near me where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. Every time a person sees an angelic being, they fall on their face. If you're wondering, like, have I ever seen an angel, like, un unclothed, uncloaked to me? Not an angel that's come down incognito. The Bible actually says that some angels come down incognito mode. And it says some of you have entertained angels, and you have not even been aware of it. That person holding up the sign that said, I'm just thirsty, I don't want money and you gave them water, that could have been an angel. The person that's at Publix bagging your groceries and no one knew their name that worked there, that could be an angel. We don't know. But when you see an angel uncloaked, you'll fall on your face because they are that glorious. And he said, understand, son of man, the visions at the end. These are the visions. This is what they mean. So he, Daniel gets the vision, and then God sends Gabriel, and Gabriel says, this is what they mean, and this is in five, around 550 B.C. What year? Okay, this is where my mind gets flabbergasted. He had spoken to me. I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, verse 18, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now, this is where some people, I think, get it a little weird. So he's saying this is going to happen at the end. Now, some people want to take this and say that means it must happen at the way end, like the end of all ends. But it seems very clear what is being talked about in the Bible. So the end in this passage is referring to these things that, that Gabriel is very explicit about. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of, of Media and Persia. Okay, Media and Persia. They came within 20 years of this being written, 10 years of this being written, this being seen. And the goat is the king of Greece. Who is the king of Greece? The goat. Does anyone have a stab at which king of Greece this might be? Alexander. I love this. This is why I love this. This is the wonder and bewilderment that I have with God. When we are praying to God, when we're asking God for something, and we're thinking, God, can you do this? God, can you, can you be here for this? And we've prayed some wild prayers. My favorite prayer right now, like bar none. And I've had to get my kid to stop praying this. Silas, every night, prays, and he, he's been forgetting to pray for our family. He prays for the kid that we fostered over a year ago, and he prays for Isaiah every night. He prays for 
Mr. Derek and Miss Don, and then Isaiah, and his prayer is always a variation of this. And God, I pray that tomorrow, Isaiah walks. And then I'm like, are you going to even pray for mommy and daddy? No. Okay. Your mom's got a brain cyst. You're going to pray for that? No. And he does, but, but every night, tomorrow, God, Zaya walks. Some of us see these prayers. You think, God, how, God can't do that stuff. God, how, can God really make a kid who can't walk, walk? Can God really take cancer that's in, in your lungs or in your brain or in your stomach and, and make it go away? Yes, he can. Does he always? No. But he can whenever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, in whatever fashion he wants. Well, why doesn't God do it? I don't know. But here's what I know is that God gave this vision to Daniel and said, the goat is Alexander. I need you to understand this, Daniel. This guy's coming, and Alexander just, he's not around until the 300s. For 200 more years, he's not coming around. And God says, this is what's coming. One person's going to rise up and sweep across the world. And he didn't give Daniel this privy information, but what Alexander did was exactly what had to happen before the gospel. Before Alexander came, there were no roads connecting the, Europe to the Middle East into Asia. There was no common language. All of the tribes were broken. There was no commerce. There, was, there wasn't a bunch of people going back and forth because the roads were dangerous. Alexander came and he conquered the world through a massive amount of war and bloodshed. But on the way, he planted cities. Alexandria here, new roads, security. Alexandria here, take over Babylon from the Medes and the Persians, from the people that were running that government. And he went all the way from northern India all the way into central Europe, the majority of the known world in this region of the world at that time. Conquered it all. He died when he was 32. You guys, right now we have 32-year-olds still trying to get their KD up in war zone. This guy ripped through the world, paved roads, made secure cities, and established a common language so that by the time his kingdom ended, when he died, the four horns that grew up. Now, we know looking back on history, when Alexander died, four generals popped up. And, and they established their own kingdoms, just like the goat was one horn. And then when that horn was broken off suddenly, four horns came up. Because God sees the future. And we're like, how can that be? I don't know. I barely passed the 12th grade in high school. I don't have this insight into how God can see the beginning from the end, but he says it over and over and over again. When he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, that means he's the A to Z. That means he can look back and say, hey, Adam, see you there. And he can look at the end and say, hey, Jared, you're going to die this way. God knows who we're going to meet, when we're going to meet them. God knows our interactions. God knows our successes and our failures. And God will guide us along the way. Daniel 2, 21 says God sets up kings and tears down kings. There's not a ruler on a throne or in a, in a house, white house, parliament, wherever in the world that God has not said, I'm putting you here for this purpose. Alexander the Great was not a follower of Jesus, but he said, I'm going to use you like my pawn. You're starting here you're going to have an amazing military aptitude. And you're going to sweep through the world, building roads and security and trade routes and setting up cities. And you're going to unite people under a common language that everyone can understand for trade so that when my son comes and does what he's coming to do, 
to save the world from sin and death. I'm going to raise up this other guy, this other type A guy, but he's not going to be a war person. He's going to be a preacher, and he's going to use your roads and this language and the cities and the trade routes to spread the good news of my son across the known world. Before Alexander the Great, the good news of Jesus wouldn't have gone outside of the surrounding area of Israel because that is as far as the language reached. That's as far as you could travel without being killed. But Alexander set up the bones, and then Rome put more infrastructure in, and then the gospel came right then. You might ask, well, if God had this great plan to get the gospel of Jesus out, the good news of Jesus, why didn't he wait till Twitter was invented? Have you been on Twitter? Nobody believes anything anyone says. You could tweet two plus two is two on Twitter, and so you're going to find 10,000 people that disagree with you. I think God is pretty smart to do it when he did it. Makes me wonder. Makes me wonder. Just like, God, what are you doing right now that we don't even see? Because we're going to go home today, maybe turn on the news tomorrow. But we've lost our sense of wonder that there's a God who could do this. We've lost our sense of wonder, and I think that's why we've also lost a sense of urgency and prayer. Because we don't think of a God who speaks and a universe exists. We don't think of a God, we think of it like, oh yeah, here's how the universe started. It must be like this, and then this matter was condensed into this, um, this density, and then boom, it blew up. And it should have all been spinning one way, but somehow they're spinning other ways. We have no explanation for that. No, I don't know how it all works because I wasn't there and neither was any scientist in the world. But here's what I know. The Bible says that God creates when he speaks. Boom. He creates. Right now he could say unicorn and he creates. Well, could God really make a unicorn? Probably. It's a gripe that I have right now. My, my daughter's favorite animal is a unicorn. And she's like, are, they, are you sure they're not real? I'm like, I, I feel like they should be real. Because if God were making things, like you already have the blueprint for a horse, and you have like a horn from a rhino. There's animals that are way weirder, like, like, a, like giraffes. Like that's a weird one. Like that's a horse that got stretched out to the size of a tree. So I, I think I'm holding out hope there's a unicorn, maybe a pegasus. That's my hope. But I just sit and wonder about it. It's probably not true. But I've been trying to wonder more. God, what are you doing right now in this person's life, in my life, in this world? If you haven't wondered lately, here's what you do. It's really easy. We don't have a lot of landscape here. Um, we have the ocean. I wonder at the ocean. I've shared this many, many times. Um, sit at the ocean without playlists, without phones. We don't wonder because we pick up our devices right when we wake up and we're scrolling instantly. And we're looking at news and facts. We're not simply stopping. Remember this phrase, stop and smell the flowers? I don't know. When's the last time you smelled that flower? Recently? So someone's buying you flowers? Good man. Should have got your wife one of these by way of one of those. <laughs> I love this, Linda. Like you help me be loved by my wife today. I love this. So you smelled them? Did you smell them, Jesse? Did you take a good whiff of those flowers? I have allergies, so I don't really do that. When's the last time you just stopped and had no noise? So you've got to put your kids in a closet, go away somewhere and just stared and said, God, I'm just here to see you. It doesn't have to be for long. I've seen some beautiful sunsets. 
just right from right here. Just look that way in about eight hours. Maybe instead of constantly going around the house when everything's loud and messy, you stop for a moment to see one of your kids being kind to your other kids. And you remember that miracles do exist. We've lost the wonder because we look for reasons for everything and for everything else that we're not finding reasons for. We fill our time with this endless noise. Our culture is addicted to noise and it stimulates our brain to be distracted. Most of us wake up starting with some alarm. Me, 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 me. And then we go right from alarm into either reading something or listening to something. And even me, like in the shower, I'm so guilty of this. You guys, I have a speaker for my bathroom. It's like, oh, I got to take a shower. Heaven forbid I clean myself without jamming out to Bruno Mars. And then I go from shower and I can grab my headphones and I go to the gym. And heaven forbid I, I don't have my headphones in at the gym because then I have to talk to somebody. Every time I go to the gym when I have to, I have to actually be with people, it's so awkward for me. I'm like, uh, and I try to talk because I'm so, I'm awkward. I'm like, I need to talk because I don't have any, I don't have the rock yelling motivation in my ear, okay? So I've got to talk to you. This one poor lady this last week on Thursday when I was getting tortured by Angel's class at any time on my spin bike, we're on the spin bike, it's too small for me, and she does this thing, like, so first you're sitting. Okay, you're sitting. 90 RPMs. I don't even know what that means, okay? And she's like, stand up. Now, these bikes are made for people who are 5'10 to 5'11, okay? And, uh, and then she goes, lean forward. And this is why I'm sore, because when I lean forward, my knees hit the handlebars. So I had to ride like this. Like, I look like a clown at the circus. Lean forward more. Hands flat. I'm like, I can't. Uh. And I'm there, and I'm trying to talk. I'm like, eh, this is great. Ah, this is so fun. Ah. The lady next to me, not having it. She's just like, no. And afterwards, I said, you inspired me. And she goes, you talk a lot. <laughs> I can't talk because I have to focus. If I don't focus, then I won't be able to do it. And I said, I have to talk because I'm so nervous. Like, I just have to. We fill it with noise. I fill my gym with noise. As soon as I get in my car, my radio's on, often super loud, because when I got out of the car last time, it's already loud. And then as soon as I get in my car, it's whatever podcast. I don't know how my, my demon phone does this. Whatever podcast or song I was listening to just comes. There's not a moment of silence in my life. When I go to bed at night, it's like, let's just do one last scroll through Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever. And then half the time I could fall asleep and my phone is just right here collecting my drool on the screen. And I know I'm an anomaly. I know no one else does any of this. You're not watching Netflix on a five-inch screen when you have a 70-inch screen in the living room, heaven forbid. This is why we've lost our wonder. We look for reasons to distract ourselves. And it's not just we do it. Evil, embodied in Satan, the fallen angel, and those who have followed Satan, they plot and they plan. They have meetings and group discussions on how they will distract and destroy human life. They say, let's not get the people to look at creation. Let's get them to look at pictures of creation and double tap if you like it. Let's not have people go and sit and have moments of peace. Let's have people go to a motivational lecture on how to have peace in your home. Let's not, let's not have people just look at their spouse and say, we're going to have no distractions. I'm just going to hold your hands. I'm just going to tell you things I love about you. Just love about you. 
Instead, let's send them for a weekend marriage seminar where they listen to the same 17 songs and it's the same thing. Men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. How about we just stop and relax, stare at each other like humans, remember that God's in control. He took Alexander like a pawn, and that's a pretty big pawn. It's more like a, a bishop or a knight. To move us around, it's just like, man, I just want you to stop for a minute. Turn off the noise and wonder about what I'm doing. Ask me. You, I, I mean, you're dead, Siri. You're dead to me. My, my, my wrist talks to me now. That's how distracted I am. Are you going to wonder? If God can control history, he can control your life and does. Here's some scripture. It's in the notes app in the, in the Bible events page. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Over what? All. Not some. All. Not some diseases. All diseases. Why doesn't he heal all diseases? I don't know. But he heals some but not all, but all will be healed in the end, in case you're wondering. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. Where? This is the part I love. He does all that he pleases. What, how much of what he pleases does he do? All. All means all. That's all all means. He does it all. Whatever God wants, he's like, I want this. I'm doing this. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. For some, some way, in order for Jesus to be the most magnified, wicked exists. And I have some theological and philosophical answers that I could give, but they will probably not satisfy all the questions that you have. Like, here's why Jesus, Jesus is meant to be glorified. Glory is the display of who he is. In order to display light, there needs to be a dark backdrop. That's my only thought that I have for why wickedness exists. To see the glory of the grace of God in the person of Jesus Proverbs 16.9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is us. Get out your planner. Get out your tasks. We're going to type A it out today. We're going to get everything done. And you just start taking one step. And this is God. Nope, this way. Anyone felt that before? Every day. God, what should I do today? And then he'll tell me something to do, and I'll say, I don't want to do that. Like some of you know, right now God's like saying, come meet me today. Get rid of all your distractions today. Stop listening to music today. Stop being addicted to Netflix tonight and just be with me. And, and all of a sudden you're going to get there tonight and say, but this is not, you know, I'm on the last episode of Squid Games. I don't even know. I haven't watched it, by the way, in case you're wondering. <sighs> Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Your plans will fall. His plans and purpose will stand. Proverbs 21, 1. Oh, sorry. King's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And God turns it wherever he wills. You're going to go this way. It doesn't matter whether they're believers or not believers. God's not in the heaven saying, As soon as you are a true follower of Christ, then I will guide the stream of your heart. I love... Eric and I have this debate all the time. Or is, is Eric in here? Oh, he's teaching kids? He went home? Oh, good. I could really talk bad about him. Don't tell him, Re. It's our secret. <laughs> we have this debate at Band of Brothers. Free will versus determinism. These big theology nerd things, okay? I believe that humans have a choice. Choose this day whom you'll serve. But our choice is limited in the scope of time and space. God exists inside time and space and above and around and outside time and space. So in the truest sense of reality, God does whatever he wants. 
I heard people say, God won't, God won't go against your free will. He's going to let you have free will. Tell that to the Apostle Paul. I'm on my way to kill some Christians on this merry day. He gets knocked off his donkey, and Jesus says, you're mine. And he says, okay. In Acts 4, it says that, that the Jews and the Gentiles and the leaders and the governing authorities, they did everything that your hand caused them to do. So when Jesus was getting crucified, God said, okay, we're moving in Caiaphas. He's going to do this. Pontius Pilate is going to do this. His wife's going to have this crazy dream. He's going to wash his hands, say, not the blood on my hands. And then the people who just cheered Jesus on on Monday are going to say, kill him on Thursday. And he's getting put to the cross on Friday. And God says, this is my plan. Move the pieces, move the pieces, move the pieces. Jesus in the ground absorbed all of my wrath against all of sin, goes dark, and then on the third day rises again. Peekaboo, I'm back. And all of that, the Bible says in Revelation 13, that was planned before the foundation of the earth was laid. So before Adam and Eve, before there were stars, moons, oceans, skies, birds, plants, trees, giraffes, pegasi, that's the plural for pegasus, God said, this is my plan. Plan A. Not plan B. Not plan C. God only has a plan A. His plan comes to pass. And it will be so. Well, does that mean that I just don't do anything? If God's plan is so sovereign and so supreme and has so much authority, do I just sit now and do nothing? Think about this. If a God, hypothetically, had all of this power, all of this authority, all of this ability to control and guide and lead and move, and then that same God says, and I want you to love your neighbor, I want you to care for the poor, I want you to lift up the widows, I want you to reach down to those who are brokenhearted and carry them along, I want you to share my good news. Now, if the, hypothetically, if a God is all-powerful in that way, and then he says, and I want you to do these things, wouldn't it be idiotic to be like, no. God, you're all powerful, so go do it. Do it without me. God's up in the heaven saying, but I made it to do it with you. I'm here to do it through you. Something we missed last week is that the kingdom of God is established and we rule and reign. Not like the dictators of this current age. We rule and reign as the sons and daughters of God to establish his kingdom forever. Establish a kingdom with ways of interacting for the rest of eternity. Heaven is not sitting in a cloud with a harp and a bagpipe singing kumbaya for 7,000 years. It's a city with roads and walls and there's jobs and things to do, but they're going to be the things that you were designed for. I, I don't think that there's going to be any pastors, for example, in, in the kingdom of heaven. After Jesus returns or Jared dies, whichever one's first. I'm out of a job. Lawyers, you're out of a job. Imagine practicing justice. We must find, there's justice. His name is Jesus. Imagine being a doctor. You're out of a job. Every doctor, nurse in here, you're on the unemployment list in heaven. Find something new. There's no ulcers in heaven. There's no dentists in heaven. There's no optometrists in heaven. But we have jobs. I just want to be a gardener. I want to make bread like on some level, like if I could be a baker and a gardener, I think that'd be cool, as long as I live next to a winemaker or a beer brewer. In heaven, it's O'Doul's only. 
No, that's not true. That's probably hell, huh? Here's some beer. Psych. <laughs> Where's your sense of wonder? And it's, it's very simple. Look at who God is. Know that you're going to fail and mess up immensely. And say, but I'm going to just keep on walking, God. I'm going to try and I'm going to fail. I'm going to keep on going because you love me. And I know you love me because you've brought me all the way here. Well, I don't know that God loves me. Some of you might be thinking. His love was proven on the cross. He may not give you that same fluttery emotion. Some, some people here during the songs are just weeping, just crying. You see it in their eyes. You look like, wow, they're really into the worship. Some people here might be really into the worship and have not shed a tear during a song for 30 years because God is reading and speaking and ministering to their heart and their mind and their soul. Some people might sing their guts out and not be worshiping at all. Whereas some people might be sitting silently for 10 years and be worshiping with every ounce that they can muster up. God is in control of history. God is in control of your story. And he says, come and talk to me like a child. Ask me for what, what you need. Tell me what you need. And I'll give you some answers and I won't give you others. But don't ever fret that I'm not in control. Some of you need this for today. Because there will come a day in all of our lives where, where darkness, the darkness of this world, hits in a disease or a loss and if you have a God who's not in control in that moment, I honestly don't know what to cling on to. I can't remember now. I've, I've become such, uh, I'm old-headed in Christianity. Over 20 years now, I've been following Jesus. And I can't remember, like, what did I put my hope in before? And I think I was still in that young man invincibility phase. So there's this phase that men have where we're all invincible forever. And then all of a sudden, you turn 40 and you're, you get beaten up by a dishwasher. Okay, not... Uh, I meant like an actual one because it's the first time I threw up my back. I didn't mean like you go into a restaurant and a 16-year-old kid beats you up. Okay. I could take most 16-year-olds still. But we, we get to this point where life hits and what's your hope in? If God isn't in control, I would say you don't have much to hope on. You're going to be building everything on shifting sand under your feet when you get the call with the results when you get the call with the loss of a loved one, what are you standing on then? A God who says, I'm moving history and it is painful and broken, but it's in my hands. It won't get out of my hands. I will not let history get out of my hands. I cannot let history get out of my hands because my hands hold it. They made it and they sustain it and they are guiding it to the end. That's a God that when I get the bad news, I could say, well, we're going to keep on. That's a God that our friend Charles, we had that sermon over a year ago now, he's passed away. Just a young man in his 30s, cancer, took over and prayed for miracles. Miracle didn't come. He died. He's got three kids. Why didn't God answer that one? Like God got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. God made the lion stop. Couldn't have God taken out the cancer? He, he could have. He didn't. But you know what was unwavering? The hope that Charles and Aaron now have and the God who guides history, and the God who leads history. His wife moved back up to Michigan, and she's joined a group where they just meet in front yards to share the gospel. They just hand, they hand out things on Halloween to say, here, we love you. Here's a hot dog. They have bouncy houses for the community. They do block parties. I'm like, man, if there's any reason you could have to just give up for a couple years, it's losing your spouse to something as horrendous and crappy as cancer. 
But she just kept going. There's times where you'll feel weak and broken, and you'll question and say, God, are you really there? God, are you really in control? Go back to these stories of seeing God in the 500s BCs, write about history that's happening 200 years down the road when Alexander came is in the 300s, saying he's going to rise up, his horn's broken suddenly, and then four more rise up. Those four horns became the empires of those regions. The one in Syria ended up becoming, uh, giving birth to a ruler named Antiochus, who we talked about briefly last week. Antiochus went into the Jewish temple, banned the sacrifice of animals, killed a pig on the altar, and said, no more Jewish religion here. The Maccabees, which is not in the Bible, it's in the book called the Deuterocanonical Books, the in-between books that Catholic Bibles have, and you can find these literatures in other places. It talks about the Maccabean Revolt. Maccabean means hammer. And these Jewish people in 164 AD went in, and they beat back this guy who had taken over the temple because they were sick of it. Nebuchadnezzar took over the temple. Darius and the Medes and Persians took over the temple. Greece took over the temple. The Romans uh, were coming in right on the tails of this. But this guy, Antiochus, took over the temple, killed pigs on the altar, which was the, the abomination to the Jewish people. And God sent the Maccabees, the hammer. And he went and took back the temple and established it in 164 B.C. before Christ came. So that when Jesus came, the temple was just starting to kick off the ground again. That's, how they, that's where they get the holiday of Hanukkah, for those of you who are wondering. And what's interesting to me is that God does this every phase of history. He's doing it right now. He's not up in heaven looking at the Taliban saying, oh, no. He's not looking over America saying, oh, look at all of this American stupidity. They're doomed. God knows who's doomed and who's not. Just in case you didn't know, America's not mentioned in the book of Revelation, so... There's that. Doesn't mean we don't fight. We don't stand for what's right. No, we stand for what's right. We fight for truth. We love deeply. We forgive immensely. We reach out to our enemies and give them water and food and shelter and care because that's what Jesus did when he reached out to you and I. And that same God, the God-man, Christ, he lives in you now. His spirit lives in you. So you, like him, can reach across uncomfortable boundaries and borders to love people well. You, like him, can by faith walk knowing that God is in control. You don't have to be afraid anymore. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because, Jared, one day you will die. I hope it's after me so that I'm there before you because I'm going to set up some pranks in your room. Don, one day someone will probably marry your daughter. Poor guy. Be gracious to him as Christ is to you. Alex, um, we don't know where your dad is, but one day you'll see God for the dad that he is to you now, despite your dad not being here. It might be on a beach in Hawaii. It took my life falling apart before I realized God was my dad. Not just my king, not just my savior, but my dad. It still makes me uncomfortable when Rick calls him Papa because it reminds me of a rap song. <clears throat> but um, God's your dad as much as he's mine. He can't hug you like a person can, but God gave you one of the best huggers on the planet. Jesse will hug you and tickle your neck with his beard. 
And if you don't want to hug Jesse, you can hug Don. It's like hugging an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> I got to be lighthearted or I'll cry. I love you. I still owe you a pack of Capri Suns um, for that time that you helped me with the ladder. I just remembered that because uh, my payment was a six-pack of Blue Moon. And he said, can I have a Blue Moon? And it's back when he was like 12, like yesterday. He said, absolutely, don't tell your mother. No, I didn't do that. So uh, let's go get a pack of Capri Suns today after service if you want. Okay. And then I'll drop you off at home my way to the gym where I can go put in headphones and ignore the world and be all about noise and myself. God help us all. Let's pray.